Welcome back to Not Too Busy to Write. I'm Penny Windsor, author and book coach. We are back for series number five, um, which I can't quite believe. And I'm thrilled to be back sharing some really interesting conversations with you this series. We're starting today with Beth Kempton. Beth is a Japanologist, best-selling author and a writing mentor whose books have been translated into 24 languages. In her latest book, The Way of the Fearless Writer, Beth Um, uses her deep love and also academic background um, of Eastern philosophy to challenge some of the more widely held assumptions um, that writing must be effortful and full of suffering. She believes that there is another way for writers to thrive, and that's with ease, trust, freedom and joy. Some of the things that we talk about today, um, looking at why we write and why it helps to know why we write, um, why you can't write the book in an Excel spreadsheet, even though you might try, <laughs> um, why it's important to start uh, learning to let go and trusting in the writing practice itself. The Way of the Fearless Writer is out now, and so is her new podcast, The Fearless Writer. The links to those are in the show notes. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to the podcast, Beth. It's so lovely to have you here. Thank you so much for having me on. What a joy. Um, I would love it if you introduce yourself first, because I would love to hear how you introduce yourself. Oh dear, labels. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my name is Beth Kempton. Hello, everyone. I am a mother and an author, a Japanologist. I am a curious explorer of the world, a seeker of beauty among other things, a stationary addict, a chocolate (laughs) lover, many, many things, uh, most of which I'm discovering more about the older I get and shedding some of the old labels I thought I used to, I should wear. Well, the first thing we're going to do today is talk about your latest book, The Way of the Fearless Writer. Um, But then there's so much else that we can talk about. Um, (laughs) And also people can read the book so they can find out for themselves. They can, they can, (laughs) and they will want to after they hear this conversation, for sure. But so let's start, let's start with your latest book. Um, and I, I want to start with why we write. And do you mind if I read just a little bit out actually from the book that I highlighted that I just really was so interesting to me um, that you're talking about, um, about what writing is and what it can be. It's, it can be a tool to help us excavate our lives and begin to understand ourselves and others. It can help us grapple with desire, navigate change, cope with stress, celebrate, offer thanks, grieve, heal, and inspire others. Writing can be a means of escape or a way to arrive fully in this moment, appreciating the miracle of life in its smallest details. And let's not forget, it can be a pleasure too. But writing cannot be or do any of these things if fear gets in the way and the writer does not write. That to me um, <laughs> just sums up so much of the problem, so much of the block that um, that all writers can experience. So I guess I wanted to ask first about what it was that helped you initially. I know you talk about your experience of writing your first book, Freedom Seeker, and that experience of, of, of letting go and how letting go of that grip, that tight grip, helped you to move forward with that first book. Yeah, sure. How lovely to hear you read my words back at me. Thank you, Penny. Um, Yeah, so my first book, which was five years ago now, and this is the fifth one, so I've been quite busy, um, was really, really difficult um, to to write because I think I had come to 
see myself as somebody who was a very analytical, strategic thinker. I'd worked in the corporate world. I'd had my own business for about six years by then. Um, I was a big fan of Excel and I would just organize the life out of everything and thought that if I had a good enough plan, things would all work out. And in some areas of my life, that was totally true. Um, but it does not work for writing a book. Let me tell you that. <laughs> um, and so basically, um, I the the reason that Freedom Seeker came about in the first place was I um, had meltdown um, when I was very pregnant with my second child, um, and I was running three businesses actually, um, and just everything was a lot, and I kept taking everything on and thinking I couldn't say no to anything, and you know, usual story, mm-hmm. and. Um, I had this kind of flashback to myself as a very free, um, wandering soul. I've been to every continent in the world, many, many places. Um, But since I had children, that had all disappeared. (laughs) Um, And so I felt like even though my company is called Do What You Love and I had all the tools I needed to do what I loved, I was completely trapped in the life that I had consciously built for myself, which made absolutely no sense Mm. um and so I decided to well first of all I just went outside and had a deep few deep breaths in the sunshine trying to figure things out Mm. I got my journal started writing um just how I was feeling um and came to the conclusion I needed some space in my life to figure stuff out because I couldn't keep going the way I was going and I had a second child coming and what were we going to do and so the only thing I immediately did was decide to take five months off maternity leave, which is a, a lot more than I had with my first child. And that's not any kind of boasting. I wouldn't recommend having um, a very short maternity leave, but it is difficult when you have your own business to, to take that time. But I did with the second one. Um, and for the whole of maternity leave, I was we were living in Brighton at the time and I was just walking her up and down the beach grappling with this massive question like how how did this happen and how do you get back to feeling free and if I was in this situation then surely lots of other people are in this situation and it felt like a big enough question to be a book um, and I turned it into a book proposal while I was on maternity leave because for once my brain was quite free um, and got a book deal and then came back and I was like, this is great. Awesome. I'm going to get this done. Smash it out in a few months. <laughs> and then um, it just didn't work. I I struggled so much because I was um, very conscious of wanting it to be a bestseller, um, which having never written a book before, was quite a high goal to set myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted it to be perfect. I've loved writing all my life. And um, I, I wanted my sentences to come out perfectly and they didn't. Um, and I was basically just stuck with my with trying to organize this book on an Excel chart, completely frozen. And time was ticking. I didn't have that much time before my deadline. Um, and I was getting really desperate, actually. I, I just didn't know how to write a book. And I didn't know anyone who I knew a couple of people who'd written a book, but very different kinds of books. I didn't know anyone who'd written the kind of book I wanted to write. Um, and also, I didn't want to ask them because then I'd look you know, week or something. I don't know. Ridiculous. <laughs> um, and so I didn't ask anybody and it just got worse and worse. And then my husband looked at me one day and said, are you still working on that Excel document? I think you need to get away because your deadline's going to come and it's not going to be done. And so 
I'll, I'll always be grateful to him for this. He bought me a ticket to Costa Rica mm-hmm. and I went to Costa Rica um, and I actually spent the first few days staying with a friend of mine who has a sea fishing lodge um, and it's really beautiful by the beach and she's you know it's got hammocks in the trees and the monkeys and all those things and I spent a few days there just kind of decompressing and just I don't know I felt like a different person already in the jungle Mm -hmm. um, back on some kind of adventure and I made a decision that I was gonna stop trying to make this book what I thought it should be and just see what happened in Costa Rica it felt like quite a magical place um and I just I just said I'm here I'm gonna for whatever happens and then I um moved to a hotel which is a hotel that I first thought I wouldn't get a room in um because it was busy season and um I had to email them back and forward and then they finally found me a room um and when I got there the manager sat me down and said it's really strange those people over there are leaving and tomorrow and and everyone else has cancelled like you're literally the only person in the whole hotel and I still get full body shivers when I think about it's so strange and it had this amazing yoga shala um circular with a conical roof and no walls overlooking the jungle and then the ocean behind the jungle and they said well there's no one else here so why don't we put a writing table in the middle of your yoga shala and we'll bring you coffee and flowers (laughs) and you can put your music on the stereo honestly it was just insane and I had this like flowing dress on I was like dancing around just as if I was you know the 20 years ago self and yeah just I just completely surrendered to this place I couldn't it felt like it's a miracle I couldn't explain it um and then I had this um kundalini yoga class they arranged it for um locals they have regular uh classes for locals in the hotel and um I had an extraordinary experience with an eagle during that yoga class, which I wrote about in the book. Someone later said they, hearing the story, said they thought it had been a spontaneous Kundalini awakening, apparently. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't claim to have had that, but who knows? It, certainly when I've read about it, it sounds very similar to my experience. And what happens to people afterwards tends to be either you go into a deep depression or you have a massive burst of creativity. And I, having written nothing for months, I wrote 30,000 words in four days. And most of those ended up in the book, of of course, tweaked and polished, but fundamentally the book just poured out there. And I don't say that to say you need to get on a plane to Costa Rica to write a book. You absolutely don't. But what it did for me was showed me that a book is not something that you can control and you Mm -hmm. can have plans and you can make time and do all those things. But there is an element of it, which is some kind of alchemy with the universe, whatever you want to call that. Um, and and it's very interesting that happened in a yoga class. And it just opened the door for me to really study a lot more about what happens to your writing when you integrate breath work and movement and mm. a sense of wildness and surrender and It's so interesting because in my business, I'm still super strategic and plan and all that stuff. But at my writing desk, none of that. And I don't think about what it's going to become. I don't think about whether it's going to top the charts, bring money in. I just do not have that in my writing space anymore. So it feels like a that was a real gift to me. And with every book I've written, I let go more and more. And this one, The Way of the Fearless Writer, really more than any of them, felt like it just showed up. Yeah. and said here I am this is what I am 
please write me down. It was really quite extraordinary. It's so interesting because I think, and this relates to some of your other work as well, this idea of trust. And I'm a big believer in trusting in process and trusting in craft. And when you when you turn up and you continue to turn up and you don't necessarily, you're not necessarily pushing and like trying to shape it very necessarily very consciously, but you're continually showing up and trusting that if you follow your curiosity, if you take that next step, even if you can only see one step in front of you and you can't see any further than that, if you keep doing that, you will go somewhere interesting and the work will take you where it needs to go. And it's really, um, it's hard though to learn how to trust in that way. And um, it sounds like that happened kind of quite suddenly for you in a way, that that sense of being able to just trust and allow the words to come out. Yes, it did. But also then I went home to the reality of two small children, three businesses, and had to find a way to do that. Yeah. And, And that is called a practice, not just practice, a practice and yeah. I built a sacred writing practice and I've kept it religiously um, since that time. And I think one thing I've learned about practice is that, and this is probably very much by osmosis from my um, Eastern influence of my um, academic background and love of, of Japan, um, is an attitude to practice, which is that it is certainly not to achieve a particular goal and it's mm. not even actually to get better that's mm. a byproduct of it but the whole point of practice is to wake up to wake up to life as it is unfolding mm. and to wake up to the experience of what you're doing the experience of writing which is different every single time and sometimes you're really aware of it and sometimes you're aware that it's challenging sometimes you're so in it you're not aware of it but you're aware of it afterwards it's so interesting. And then sometimes when you're doing the editing, polishing, shaping part of it, you're incredibly aware because you're making conscious choices mm-hmm. about your words. But there are times for making those choices and times for not making those choices. And I think when you're not trying to make the choices, there's there's almost no need to be afraid because you're, what you're writing and spilling onto the page isn't for anyone else's eyes anyway. And most yeah. of our fear is connected to other people and that you know results in the outside world so it's only when we get to the stage of shaping it with the intention of sharing it then everything else comes flooding in and we have to have strategies to deal with that excuse me but a lot of it I think fear related to writing we're talking about stopping us almost starting Mm. is because we bring those fears to the to the page in the beginning but Mm. we can just choose not to do that if we tell ourselves that this is I'm just practicing I'm just here me and the page going to write about whatever or just see what comes and write it down and we can do something with that later so nobody's going to see that so we don't have to think about anyone else and that simple simple realization changed everything for me and I can say I'm genuinely not afraid to just write stuff I'm very afraid about sharing with the world like everyone else is and I think that happens that never goes away and you get better at dealing with it but it's you know that's such an that's such an important distinction. And I think um, I think that's how I allow myself to, to write in an unfiltered way is by just knowing that this is just the part of the process that is private and I can do and say whatever I want. And I'm not at that next stage yet where I'm showing anyone. 
and, and you then, won't always be there and you won't always be there but also, not for sharing, is it? and also yeah because some of course and then and then on top of that there's um there's only some writing that will be seen by a very select few people at a certain stage and it won't be ready for a wider audience until way 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 later and um and in a way that's what I love about the slowness of publishing actually I know most people complain about the slowness but um the one upside that I've actually tell clients quite often is to remember there are so many points at which to change your mind about what you're talking about and what you're saying and the language you're using or, you know, anything like that, um, that in a way the slowness of publishing is kind of freeing in a way that other mm. other ways in which we interact with the world is so fast these days and publishing a book you know often takes you know it can easily take two or three years so um couldn't agree more and I think yeah. I've never actually thought about that but that's probably one of the things I love about it because yeah. it is it, you know you, you might spend basically 30 years carrying a book because it's all your life experience in it yeah. and then you may do a book proposal and get six months to write that book but it doesn't mean you've only got six months to write it because you've been you know, all of that has been building up in you. Six months might seem quite scary, like 50,000 words, 70,000 words, 100,000 words, whatever it is. But it it is a slow process because yeah. even when you've submitted your manuscript, then, oh, you're getting you know, back again whole, and it's yeah. going back and forth. And exactly. I mean, I actually love that. And, um, and in fact, actually, because when I wrote my first book, um, my editor was really lovely. She kept saying, oh, you know, you know, we can change that later, right? don't let that don't worry about that now and it was so nice and she kept saying that right until the end until it was okay no this is the final time and it's, it's <laughs> but then actually if there is a mistake don't worry for the paperback we can change it you know <laughs> yeah. so like um it was so lovely it was such an attitude of like it'll be fine you know and it was a really it was really nice and it's something I I am constantly reassuring clients about I always but, find that with acknowledgements I always think that's now I've I've become good at writing them down as they come to me, people I want to thank as I go, because you're like, oh, that's that's later, that's later. And then the day comes like, oh, today's the day. I oh, have God, to write this. I need to send it. <laughs> yeah. And it's that whole panic of like not wanting to forget anyone. But there's something else you said related to this, which I thought was so lovely, this idea that words are both sacred and ordinary. And I love that because it's true. We need to almost treat them as both because they're sacred in the sense that they they hold so much meaning and we can convey so much meaning. Um, but at the same time, they're ordinary and we don't need to hold on so tightly to them. They don't have to be perfect. They don't have to be um, perfect when they come out, perfect when they're reshaped. Um, and I really loved that, the sacred and the ordinary. I'm going to keep that in my mind as I as I write to those two. They're that kind of paradox that they are both of those things. So yeah, and I think it's related to the paradox that our matter, our writing matters immensely and not at all. Yes. And I think it's yeah. that's it's so important from a personal point of view. Like I give this enough time and attention because it really matters to me, but also it's just writing it's just words and I think one thing I've learned from writing books is that I'm sure you've had this experience as well that you have to write through so many words to get to the ones that end up in the finished book Mm -hmm. that most of them will get tossed away which is why I everyone has their own opinions about word counts which is fine but for me word counts are a complete waste of time it's just an it feeds the ego oh I did Mm -hmm. a thousand words there I did 500 oh I only did 200 but most of them are going to get you know, swept away anyway, and you'll just be left with the really good ones. And actually, just the more stuff you put on the page, the more likely you are to find the gems. And then all the rest will get chopped anyway. And you might use it for something else. It's not wasted at all. Mm. Um, but just forget about counting and crack on with writing. 
It's really nice to hear that actually, because um, I use word counts at certain times in the process, but mainly just so I can estimate when I imagine being done with certain things. But um, but it's so, for some people it really works and for some people it really doesn't. So if any of the listeners out there, it's really not working for, you don't have to do it. No, it's, it <laughs> are other ways. Yes. <laughs> I do think it's really useful in at certain points, like you say, like, for example, how balanced is your manuscript? Looking at the yes. word count of each chapter is an incredibly quick way of understanding that you've got a lot to say about this and not yeah. much to say about this. And maybe actually that's two chapters or whatever, which is which is fine. But in terms of a daily word count, yeah. I say anything that helps you, doesn't matter what anyone says, do it. But if, yeah. as you say, if it's getting in the way, then there is no person making the rules here. You can exactly, do whatever you exactly. want. Because you can write a hundred words of sort of, um, of, of just, just pure magic and 3000 of meh, you know, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it could take you just as long. But so on that, let's talk about time and energy um, to write as well. Cause this is something that you talk about in the book and this idea of like um, really, of really digging into why it is that we write. And when we, keep in mind why we write it makes it easier for us to choose writing over choosing something else why do you write penny uh it really helps me to understand how i think and feel about the world and about what i've experienced and i guess to put sometimes to put my experience in context with other people's experience mm-hmm. so many things but um yeah, what do you write? Definitely to make me feel more connected to the experience of life, for sure. Mm. And I think right in the beginning, I described myself as a seeker of beauty. And I, there's something in the writing mm. process that helps me open my eyes more to that and yeah. notice it. And I fi- I love fi- trying to find words to describe an intangible experience mm. or whatever. But also in terms of how it relates to making time for it, um, it definitely makes me a better version of myself yeah you know, if, I think it's difficult if you're juggling well if you're juggling anything we've all got stuff you know you might be careful parents or whatever juggling stuff. everyone's <laughs> juggling something well in my case you're two small children who love your getting your attention and work and things like that um it can get quite stressful and I find it's an amazing release and if I've got up you don't have to get up at five o'clock in the morning I happen to like getting up at five o'clock in the morning but you know if I've got up and done that before I've turned a screen on, listened to anything, had a conversation with anyone, and it's just been me and my candle and my notebook for an hour, then I'm just ready for anything versus, you know, get to the end of the day, drawn out and exhausted, having not even found 10 minutes, you know, I'm a bit ratty or whatever. And it just makes a difference. So I think one thing that really helped me was I realised that I'm better with everybody else yeah. when I've written and I think that helps me have those conversations with my family um, because if you share a space a living space with other people and you need some quiet of course it's your responsibility to make that and make it easy for them um, so I think shutting the door for mm. example I have a little sign from the Bodleian Library in Oxford that says silence please with the library oh, logo on it and they love nice. it and if I hang it on my door, they do not come in. But if it's not on my door and the door's open, they come in all the time. Yeah. And so it's almost Gosh, like that's so simple and yet so effective. 
and they really like it and yeah they're like oh mommy's working and then you know they they understand what I do and I share it with them but I and I don't have it on the door all the time so it's yeah it's only like when it really matters please don't come in and then yeah. when I finish and I go out take the sign off they see me taking the sign off and then I'm like yeah. hello who needs help getting dressed or whatever I I'm a big fan in general of talking to the people you live with if they're at if they're able to understand um, about about why you're writing and and about what it means to you personally, because not everyone feels the same way about writing, and so a lot of people won't get it in the same way that I wouldn't necessarily get why somebody I don't know. I kind of get why someone wants to run a marathon. I do. I get it. I don't really want to run one myself, but I do kind of get it. But, you know, something big like that, that not necessarily everyone is going to understand why you're putting so much time into it. Um, I think but that you're doing always, it affects everyone else. Exactly. So I think it is, I'm a big fan of talking out loud about why it's important. Mm. Um, and and I think it does help. It doesn't mean that, especially, uh, especially it doesn't mean that, that everyone is going to accept that you do want to spend your time doing that but it but it can help quite a bit but um but also I just find acknowledging out loud or in a journal to yourself that it is important like even if you're only acknowledging it to yourself can make the difference between choosing it and not choosing it choosing Definitely. choosing writing over choosing doing something for somebody else in the household you know or like one thing that's happened because I've done my master's over the past year and I've been reading and writing you sort of, you know, a lot, um, <laughs> you know, I've, I've let things like, you know, the, the clean laundry pile up quite a lot more than I would. And, you know, it's not ideal because it, it, you know, if, if I can't find the kids uniforms first thing in the morning is it adds a bit of stress, it's not ideal, but it's fine. It's, I kind of, I kept reminding myself when I did have those moments where I'm like looking at a big pile going, Oh my God, I still haven't put that away. Reminding myself it's, I'm choosing, I'm choosing my master's this year. I'm choosing my writing and I'm choosing reading this year and it's not forever. And it's just, I'm in this moment where housework is really, really, really coming second to quite a few more important things. Um, And even just acknowledging that sometimes even out loud, (laughs) it can really calm me down from feeling like I'm sort of, you know, failing to juggle some of those other balls. Yeah. Oh, completely. I um, had a photo shoot a couple of weeks ago. And so I cleared half my wardrobe so that I could just have my photo shoot outfits easy Ooh, to grab nice. and put all my clothes in my children's wardrobes. And they're still there two weeks later. And I had a conversation with them yesterday going, I'm really sorry. You know, like last week was really busy. I brought out a new song, co-written song, and I brought out a new book. And, you know, that's why I still in there. And they were actually fine. And my littlest one was like, oh, I quite like having your clothes in there. I think about you when I open the wardrobe. And I was like, well, they'll probably stay there for a few more weeks then. Like, oh, well, maybe my summer clothes will live there for the winter. <laughs> yeah. but, but you're so right. And also, it's so important, I think, to um to to remember that people can love us and be completely uninterested in what we're doing yes and you know especially when it comes to writing books if you are setting yourself up for all of your family and friends to be all over your books and loving them and telling you about that story on page 93 and wasn't that a beautiful sentence you're setting yourself up for disappointment (laughs) because I guarantee 90% of them will never even read it they won't care they They won't won't care care. and I might be proud of you because yeah. you've done something, but they won't actually necessarily care about the thing itself. Yeah. No, and, and actually, you know, it's in, it's interesting. I'd imagine with a novel, for example, a novel is often a very specific topic. Well, you know, you might be writing sci-fi and, you know, I'm not interested in sci-fi, so I'm not 
I don't really want to read a sci-fi novel, but I yeah. think you're, you know, well done you for writing it kind of thing. <laughs> but sometimes you don't even get that. And some people just, it doesn't, you know, it's it's just like, oh, I went to a meeting at work today. It's that kind of level of just yeah. that's what she does. And it's totally fine. You, you know, you find your people for that kind of support wherever they are. And sometimes it's easier to let the other people just you be who you are with those people but like you said acknowledging it for yourself is really important but also some people really surprise you I think Mm. some of some of the people who've been just the biggest supporters in the last few years of this writing journey I, I would never have guessed it would be them and they're they're just always asking how you know how's it going do you ever get stuck you know and there's one coffee shop I go to where I like it's the same place I arrived at when I'd had this massive aha moment about the way the fearless writer and then a month almost to the day a month before every submission deadline the whole structure collapses and I have to rebuild it and it's like (laughs) oh my god moment but also now I know that's oh it's good it's here it's done now and so the same person was there the day that happened on the way to the coffee shop and I just it's so interesting because actually we don't know each other at all in our other lives except I often go there for my coffee when I'm working you know and I think it's it's really important to remember that you can find support in all sorts of places Mm -hmm. and it's not necessarily the people that you think it should be so you know you don't have to get divorced just because your partner really didn't you know was not that into writing no (laughs) you want them to be a champion for you of course you do and it's really you know it's a shame if they're not but also there are other people who can support you there are. And there are podcasts you can listen to where other people are really into writing like you are. <laughs> exactly. Um, but let's talk about structure for a second, because I wanted to dig into the really interesting structure that you put together for this book and just in general, how that feeds into how you like to work and find the structure when you're writing your nonfiction. Um, so this one is in three, three main parts, isn't it? Yep. And um, and they're the kind of three three gates as you describe them, which come from Eastern philosophy. Do you want to just describe the general idea of the structure and then how it is that you ended up coming to that structure? Yeah. So the idea is that you are going on a pilgrimage, um, essentially this writing path, and in order to get to a stage where you accept fearlessly that you are a writer and that you share, you know, you feel like you can share your words fearlessly. Um, you have to go through these three sacred gates um, that mirror exactly the um, three gates of liberation in Buddhism. Um, And that is not something that I picked out of a philosophy book and forced the ideas into. That was was not in my proposal. Mm. Um, The proposal was about, uh, I knew there was something that I, I had been so strongly influenced over the past 25 years through my studies and living um, in Japan um, that I knew had contributed to that, even though the that eagle moment was very dramatic, just my general way of seeing the world. Um, and I didn't know exactly what it was, but I explained enough to get the big deal. Um, and then I spent a lot of time very early on in the writing process going through all of my, you know, 120 eight or something journals from over the past 20 30 years and looking for clues Mm -hmm. as to where the seeds of my books really interesting many years before the books became a book I didn't even realize I'd written about so interesting it's 
honestly, it's fascinating. Like even the word Wabi Zabi had appeared, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, 10 years ago or something. And the book I'm working on now, which is a follow up to Wabi Zabi, and the title of that, Kokoro, had appeared about eight years ago. Oh my goodness, that is fascinating. <laughs> More reason to, to journal, everybody. <laughs> yes. More reason to journal. I honestly think that we we know things before we realize we know them and we go back and we're like oh my goodness that yeah there it's look, been, in, there. It's been in, in the back of your mind circulating around trying to find a form for a long time before it actually finds its form right absolutely yeah. and often I I just think we're not aware of its significance it's just a yeah. word on a page until something comes into view as something we're interested in enough to mm-hmm. write a book about and then we realize it's been there all the time so I was looking back at that and I was tracing my path and or, you know how I've um, done Reiki training and my yoga training and all those things and how my um how what I wrote about the writing process in all those journals had evolved over the time and I was literally walking down the river one day um thinking about this path and then I was like boom desirelessness formlessness emptiness mm. it was the things that I wasn't doing and then the huge shift and then actually these are the essentially the three sacred gates I've walked through but for me writing set me free freedom seeker I you know I love that book as my first book I think the ideas are solid I think the writing could be improved um it's interesting when you look back but it's totally fine you know um but it I I wouldn't I don't care if nobody ever reads that book again because that book did me such a service it set me free which you know freedom seeker it did the job you know um and so it it's absolutely, I just couldn't believe it when it just appeared to me like, boom, walking through this field of cows, three gates of liberation. That's what they are. That's exactly the path that you've walked. It gave a name to the thing that I had done. Mm. Um, and I'm still walking that path for yes. sure. And I don't want to give away the end of the book, but <laughs> it is an an ongoing um, an ongoing job um, and an ongoing joy. Um, mm. And that is, is what we do. So that's that structure very much came to me like, like yeah that. I do I am very conscious of structure um with Calm Christmas my third book um I really I was definitely very clear early on it wasn't just about Christmas it's about well-being in winter and all of that mm-hmm. but also chronologically if you think it's covering really November December January and how we set ourselves up to have the Christmas we want to need but also to go well into the following year yeah it was very clear to me it needed to be three parts it's not always three parts but that one as well um, yeah. which was before Christmas during Christmas and after Christmas yeah um, and it's very simple but it makes a huge difference to how you organize your thoughts but every book begins as a vague idea so this structure for me it comes when it comes it always mm-hmm. collapses so for example the gates the order was reversed a month before the end oh, which made me so yeah I was really struggling and then I was like I wonder if I swap those two rounds and then it's like oh perfect that makes sense so this is so this is so interesting so first of all you had a different proposed structure in your proposal and then this came to you and it really really worked but then you ended up reversing it I love that I think this is so important for us all to talk about as writers about you know I think it's so easy when we pick up a finished really successfully executed book and to be like oh well of course the writer always imagined it would be that way um (laughs) no way it's so much more of a messy process than that in so many ways isn't it and it's so important for us to remember that um you know I've worked with clients that have sort of 
worried about the messiness of the process and I'm like no 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 it looks correct to me like <laughs> this yeah, is yeah. What chaos and order like. you need the chaos yeah. you need the chaos to get the order you do yeah, yeah it's, it is difficult I think one of the most challenging things actually is holding all the material yeah that's yeah. really difficult and yeah. I think that's where being super organized can help um, to kind of give a container to the chaos yeah um, and sometimes I do just go back to the sticky notes or back to the index cards or yeah. whatever it is or just back to a blank page and go I'm going to put that aside so yeah. the, the book I'm working on now because of the pandemic and Japan's had its borders closed yes, for two for and a half time. years yeah. yeah so it's a completely different book to the one yeah. I pitched except I've kept my publisher um, informed all the way and it's become a much deeper much more profound book yeah and it's almost like of course this is the book it was always going to be it just wasn't mm. the right time and so the universe gave me a pandemic so I couldn't finish yeah, it yeah and it will and the book will end up being what it ends up you know you write the book that you write in that moment who you are in that time based on the yeah. experience that you've had and like Freedom Seeker was the book that you wrote then and you wouldn't write the same book now no no and so with this book um it's got a central question which hasn't really changed Mm -hmm. and so what I did when I knew that the borders were opening again get to go back and I now have a deadline May the 1st next year yeah um I just put everything aside and asked myself that question again Mm. then went back to my notes and some of it is the same some of it's changed some of it I've used in books the three books I've written since Wabi Sabu yeah while I've been waiting um and so that did feel like a real mountain Mm. um thinking how on earth am I gonna get my head around all this again and get back into it but when nearly every certainly non-fiction but it's probably true for fiction as well nearly every book I think is a response to a question if you get the Mm -hmm. right question yeah you'll you'll find your way through it and if you can keep coming back to that question anytime you get stuck yeah. Uh, it definitely helps. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm um, absolutely a believer in that as well. And I just wanted to, just one last thing about about the way of the fearless writer um, that I really that really spoke to me was this analogy of the water writing as water. I loved that so much. I'm now going to use that, visualize that as I'm doing it now. But this idea that writing can be gaseous, liquid, and solid, and that the gaseous writing is like you know, perhaps free flow journaling, something that no one's ever going to see that the water, the liquid um, water writing is, um, is, is when it's sort of, you know, coming out of you and pouring out of you. And it's at that kind of creation flow stage. And then the solid state is when you're shaping, consciously shaping and sculpting and, you know, editing and all that kind of stuff. Um, I loved that so much. Um, It made so much sense to me. I'm in a solid state of writing with my novel (laughs) at the moment. And it does feel really different. And I had to write a new scene that I put in that was like completely just fresh new scene that I knew I wanted. And it felt like I was back in liquid again. Mm, exactly. Um, and it was states, such not a, stages. Yeah. It just, it was so, it's such a lovely way of, of viewing it. And also this idea that kind of gaseous writing gives you permission to just, it's okay. It's like nothing. It's like, you know, light, it's nothing. I, I don't even have to show anyone. It's just light gas. Yeah, and, it, and also it's the, if you think of the molecules running around and filling the container you give them, that's all the crazy worries and everything in your head that fill your head if you let them. And then if you mm. let the page be the container for all those thoughts, you kind of open up the channel yeah. for the gold to spill out. But if you, if your head is full of all that stuff, you can't reach in and get anything out. And I think What's really interesting when you think about writing being in those three states is that it's very simple to enter each one. You enter them differently. So the the gaseous or gaseous, how my audiobook 
told, guy told me I had to say it was gaseous. I was saying gaseous. I don't know what the answer is. See, we don't, we don't know everything. It's fine. Um, but the one that where the, where the words behave like gas, right? But like steam. Um, yeah. To get into that, you literally just write down what you see in your head. Like what, yeah. what, what are the words that you're seeing, the, the worries, the anything. Put that yeah. on the paper. The second one is to have some, get quiet, have some kind of spark. It might be a candle, it might be a poem, it might be a question. Something gives you some kind of direction and in you go. And when you realise you're in it, you've, you've come out of it. And it's that kind of deep flow state. And then with solid state writing, where the words behave like ice they're basically not moving it's a it's something that you've already written that maybe is partly partly there in terms of something you would share with somebody else but you're consciously um polishing it so you can almost choose which one you want to do today by how you start but also like you say it definitely moves between them and you might be editing a piece and nearly finished and there's one sentence where you're like I really want to change something and then suddenly there's an image comes to your mind and you're mm-hmm. back in writing something else. And I think it's, it's really freeing and it's, mm-hmm. it's all good. And it's not that I think when we're taught writing in some ways, there's so much focus on what I call solid state writing, the editing, the getting the sentences perfect and all that stuff. But that is just one kind of writing and also one that comes very late in the process yeah. um, for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And also very few people actually teach journaling obviously morning pages are journaling and that's Julia Cameron's done everyone a huge favor with that mm. um it's it's a really important thing and it's it's worth giving attention to and also not only journaling because you get stuck in the rumination of all those thoughts yes. and so sometimes giving yourself that inspiration to go somewhere else and write something beautiful and who knows something raw and wild and profound might come out that you never yeah. knew was in there and that's that's amazing I mean that's worth doing just for the miracle of what happens when you tap into your creativity, right? And I think uh, the thing I love about it as well is this idea that, you know, sort of they're, they're kind of all equal in a way and they all have their place. There's not a sort of judgment attached to one being better than the other. It's just a, um, they all have their own value. They just all have different sort of purposes in a way. And They all, they all serve each other yeah. as well. You can't yeah. have just one of them. Certainly if you want to write a book, you can't have just one of mm. them. I know lots of people say, oh, I get stuck in journaling or I you know get fixated on writing well and the thing to do is try one of the others and see yeah to break yourself out of it that's a really really good point so if somebody if somebody listening is um is very very happy and and finds it easy to turn up to their journal daily but finds it difficult to do any other kinds of writing so using a particular um in the book you talk about using a kind of some kind of trigger particular kind of ritual to kind of and and even maybe starting with an image or something to kind of move Poem, forward object, yeah question yeah 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 absolutely yeah. Yeah. I think that's really good advice because I think a lot of people do find themselves there they might have taken a while to allow themselves to journal and then once they're there they stay there for quite a long time before they allow themselves to go beyond that journal as well yeah and I think it's a whole question of allowing ourselves giving ourselves permission I mean it's like whose permission are we waiting for for what I mean just yeah just get on with it it's amazing have enjoy it have fun it's also like take your writing seriously but you don't always have to be serious about serious. it you know yeah, I think exactly. we get really yeah. caught hung up on doing things right and yes when you want to publish a book there are 
right ways of doing certain things but that is so far down the line yeah um for most of us most of the time that anything that feels like I can't do that because I don't know the answer I can't spell I don't know no one's going to like it all that stuff it just has no place in your daily writing ritual so you can put it all aside if you like write a list things I need to worry about later yeah put them on there and then close that one and come back to your other notebook you know I think I had this funny experience this year of, of when I was doing my master's one of my tutors was it was a kind of multidisciplinary creative writing masters so we were in classes with poets and some of our teachers were poets and I've never ever studied poetry even in high school I don't even remember studying I know it sounds a bit insane but I don't know don't remember studying poetry at all so um although I read some poetry I've never studied it and I had to write sonnets as a part of my master's it can be a bit <laughs> scary at first because you think that sounds rather serious but actually when you break it down I was a bit like it's just words on a page like I do, just certainly different form. And in fact, they tell me what the form is. They've told me what form I have to write them in and I just have to do it. And actually it wasn't nearly as scary as I, I first thought. So it, sometimes it is, it can be really fun to challenge yourself to write in a totally different form. And in fact, yeah, this past year I've written in so many different forms I never thought I would. I would. And I'm not going to go and publish poetry now, but it has actually informed my prose quite a lot by having to to, to write some poetry. How brilliant is that? And it's it's so good to try other things. I just literally got on my desk here, Mark Nepo's gorgeous book, Drinking from the River of Light, The Life of Expression. Um, and I was talking to the folks at London Writer's Salon the other day and they asked me to pull out a um, a quote I like from writing. Yeah. I've got it. So if I can, I'll share it with yeah, you. Yeah, I do. It says, poetry is the unexpected utterance of the soul that comes to renew us when we least expect it. More than the manipulation of language, it's the art of embodied perception a braiding of heart and mind around experience. And that's what I love about poetry. I think mm. that it's the same. It's one of those parts of writing that can feel very stiff and there are so many rules. And there, you, absolutely, if you want to study different kinds of poetry and you can get huge benefit from that, mm. um, then there are things to learn. But for me, poetry is so much more of a capturing of the experience of life mm. in a way that isn't a fixed sentence it's actually a lot freer than prose writing sometimes and even when you're looking at poetry that has very specific rules attached to its form sometimes those rules in themselves allow you to be very free in how you express Mm. yourself chaos and order again there we are chaos and order exactly and just in terms of sharing you talked a little bit about this idea of like how our fear when we're writers often is comes down to sharing. And there was some really interesting insights in the book as to this idea of like, um, um, you know, that not all writing is for sharing and that there are some, there's some writing that you never share. There's some writing that you might share with a very select few people. And then there's some that you might share more widely. And I really loved that because I think um, we don't often talk about the sharing in those different kind of ways. And I think, um, looking at looking at it as those three different distinct different states and that um, it might be a really long time before you get to that third state where you feel like you want to actually and the fact that we don't ever have to is very freeing in itself yeah it's huge and I think we do tend to talk about sharing our work as if it is one thing but um, I mean you'll know there's a big difference between sharing some sentences you've written for feedback with let's be careful who we ask for feedback from with a select group of people and really importantly asking for very specific feedback what do you need to know not 
please, please never ask anyone, is this any good? I mean, it's never going to get you anything useful and it will probably, you know, it's just difficult for anybody to answer that question in a way that's actually helpful to you. So choosing who you share it with and asking them specifically what you want in terms of feedback is really important. But that's the kind of what, what I call showing. It's like, show, like here you are, this is what mm. I'm working on. What do you think about X, Y, Z? Mm. And then we've got serving when we share our words in order to be of benefits from other, mm. to other people. So that might be a newsletter or Instagram or a book or a report or anything like that. That's a very different kind of thing. And at the point at which you serve somebody with your words, they're pretty polished mm. words. And so yeah. those are the ones that, you know, possibly is connected to a lot of um, different kinds of fear, but also the greatest opportunity for the numerous amazing things that happen mm. when you share your words and they connect with someone else and make their day better or their life better or take them somewhere in their imagination, whatever it is that your words do for them. And then they're selling. And the reason I put that in separately is because although with you, I mean, you know this Penny very well, but with fiction, of course, you write the book and then the manuscript and then you pitch it with a synopsis but for non-fiction books and also for a lot of articles if you want to get paid a lot of articles are pitched on an idea not that you, you don't spend days and days writing something that nobody that somebody might not take on so you pitch the idea in a book proposal or in an article pitch and then of course memoir is different you need the proposal and the manuscript they need to know how the story is going to end but generally speaking you're selling an idea mm. and it, that's really challenging because your book is this vague thing at that point and an article in a smaller way might be a vague thing you might know what you want it to do but you don't know how it's going to take shape and so you need to kind of grapple with it to the point that it's in a form that makes enough sense that someone's going to take a financial risk on you they understand mm -hmm. you know who's going to buy it and why now's the right time and that you're the right person to to um, write that book and all that stuff but not pinning it down to the point that you know exactly what it is because amazing things happen later on, like the whole structure appears to you as it, as it has with me. And so that kind of showing brings a whole different kind of nerves with it and also mm. needs a very different mindset. You, you know, you're, you're usually selling it to somebody who's going to pay you money for it. Mm. So you have to have commercial sense. You need to be savvy about it. It needs to meet some very specific requirements that are kind of decided externally what those specific requirements are, you know, by sales teams. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they need to yes. know It needs to work for yeah. them as well as yeah. work for you. Whereas most of your writing only needs to work for you. And sometimes it needs to work for your readers, but um, the selling is very specific. But I wanted to include that because just a few pointers can make a huge difference to yeah, whether somebody can. gets to bring their book idea, book dream to life or gets to get paid for writing articles or whatever it is yeah. to do. But it's only a small piece because it's only a small piece of the writing life. I think yeah. even as a professional writer, I, th I think it's huge to it's really important to know that the, the vast majority of the things that I write don't end up anywhere. <laughs> it's very freeing, isn't it? Very freeing. Yeah. Yeah. I think we, it's somehow society has got to a point where everything's set up that we judge ourselves or judge each other. And it gets in the way of some of the most amazing things that we are capable of doing as human beings. One of yeah. which is writing these things that we don't even know we know onto paper it's quite or onto a laptop screen I mean it is quite miraculous really isn't it? it is well let's talk a bit more about 
your business now as well and how that all kind of fits in and how and how you manage all of these different kind of hats that you wear as well. So do what you love. Um, started six years before Freedom Seeker, your first book. Yeah, so 12 right? years ago now. Yeah. 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 I've actually so got- you've been doing that for quite a long time before you your foray into writing. Do you think it was in a way working on that that sort of allowed you to open up to to start writing? Um, I think I've been writing always. I mean, even in my career before I started my own company, I would, you know, write about what I was doing for websites and write proposals and things like that. Um, but I think it it has been incredibly helpful to have the foundation of a whole raft of online courses. We were doing mm. online courses before they were really a thing when you had to actually educate people for the fact that you could do something online, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, so since the very early days and that was really helpful in a couple of ways one was I wasn't then rushing to try and put out an online course when the book came out which I know is is a brilliant thing for people to do and also a big challenge when you've got a book coming out um but most importantly I think because a lot of the courses I was already doing were connected to Freedom Seeker it was mm-hmm. a a place for me to test my ideas mm. and I wasn't testing them thinking I'm going to write a book but I could look back and say wow these things really work for people and it's interesting these patterns always came up and people always ask me these questions and they mm. always seem to be stuck here and so that was really valuable but I, I do actually have two other businesses that started um really soon after that so they've been going for 10 years and they're co-founded with ones with an art agent and ones with a um with a designer and, and they make art that sells.com and make it in design.com so they're mm-hmm. an art school and a design school and I was very much behind the scenes of those and still am um as a producer and a kind of strategist mm-hmm. so I think that has really helped me when it comes to understanding how to deliver things to an audience and grow a community and yeah and all of those things so I think whatever we do beforehand is is valuable yeah um, for sure yeah and also I find now that when a new book comes out instead of trying to sell an online course connected to it I just create loads of free stuff to help people go deeper on the experience of the book because I guess we're set up with it it's very easy to make a new classroom and all of that so I really encourage people if they if they're writing a book especially a non-fiction book I think it's Mm. I don't have experience with fiction books um so I don't really know how I would bring one of those to life in the same way. I'm not saying yeah. it's done, um, but certainly for nonfiction, it's a brilliant thing to do. Mm-hmm. And it takes a huge amount of time. I did a new website when Freedom Seeker came out and it nearly killed me <laughs> to do that and have a book tour and a new book and all of those things. And yeah. it just everything takes longer than you think. So giving yourself that time or just saying, it's okay, I can do a course six months down the line. It's fine. Yeah. I'm screwed by the book now. And then... I'll, I'll release a course later on but just get people on your mailing list grow your audience and you know do that serving all yeah. the time because it's your thing um and then it, it doesn't it doesn't really it does matter but it also doesn't matter the timing you know um it, there can be there's a lot of buzz so you want to do stuff but also like with this book for example it's a kind of book where you disappear into somewhere quiet with a cup of tea and hopefully don't go online for the next month while you're writing so there's no point me trying to sell you anything in the month after so I'm just giving people lots of free extra tools and new podcasts a fearless writer podcast and things like that so um it but it's it's all good learning and I think one of the most helpful things has been getting used to 
talking mm. to people, you know, on camera, whatever. Um, because I don't know about you, but I'd much rather people emailed me their questions and I sent them an email back or I just sat, sat in my room and wrote books. But the reality these days is you don't have to do any kind of media you don't want to do, but it all helps. And so yeah. if you can get familiar with um, talking about your what you do to the point that it doesn't take all your psychic space so you can't do anything else um that's really good and of course if it's too much you can write magazine articles and do things like that that's also completely fine (laughs) that's very very true it is um it's a whole side of the job isn't it it's a whole thing luckily we don't have to necessarily do it constantly um but so in terms of how you're managing your time these days i'm sure it changes constantly depending on whether you're right in the middle of a manuscript or you're writing in the middle of a proposal or you're promoting a book but in terms of how you spend your time with these different businesses and with your writing I mean um do you do you kind of work in kind of you know you know what the next couple of months is going to be like and then maybe don't think too much beyond that how how do you like to, to structure it so you know exactly what the year is going to look like how does it work it's very seasonal mm. and I have a good view for 18 months. Um, okay. I'm very aware that things can change, um, but tends to be this. It's it's really the last few books has been like this and it is for the next one. January to April. So early whole of winter, early spring is writing time for me. So I only email on Wednesdays. Don't do any media. I hardly teach. I've got one class next year in that time. Um, and my um co-founders both have written books totally understand it one of them's got a book coming out in November so we've it's been brilliant we can support each other oh that's great yeah yeah and and with those businesses we have teams um, mm. and we've got to a point where they can run most things I couldn't be away the whole time but the four month stretch with a check-in once a week um is is fine everyone wow. works really well yeah. yeah and also what's amazing is that if you don't answer then it gets a lot of the time it gets sorted out without you and yeah. that's good for everybody I think you know yeah so so January to April is like that because that's really the most intensive writing period this like I said this um next manuscript deadline is the first of May um and then spring and summer uh, is very much my own energy I'm much more happy to be talking to people I do lots of media I do all our we do all our planning so we always plan for the following year in the summer because mm-hmm. we do an annual gratitude sale every November around the time of cyber sale. Um, and so in order to sell all our courses for the next year at 50% off, whatever, we have to know when they're going to be. So we do yep. all that planning in summer. And then um, I write my book proposals in autumn yep. um, and do my own podcast and things like that autumn through to like, we try and take most of December off if we can do bits and pieces, but mostly it's all about Christmas. Um, although having a book about Christmas out in the world, which you know, every single year it, you have to talk about it again. It's yes, that is completely sort of built in yearly. There's a little bit of seasonal work stuff that has to happen. Yeah. Oh gosh, that's so interesting. It's really funny because I because I spent years as a photographer. And my work as a photographer was very seasonal and I had ebbs and flows during the year that obviously I did it for so long. I really knew what the rhythm of the year was and switching to a very different style of work where I'm doing two different things. I'm working with clients and I'm writing my own work um, that I haven't quite got my new ebb and flow yet. Mm. I'm still in that early stage where I'm not quite, I haven't done enough years that I can really, really see those patterns. I'm so jealous of your year. (laughs) It sounds amazing. I feel like that's my aim. I want to get to the point where I know that at certain times of the year, I'm like kind of closing off 
a lot of other work and writing more and stuff. And that is my aim to get there. But I think it's funny, like it was when I, when I was shooting, I still shoot occasionally, but, but I don't basically do it anymore. Um, and when I wasn't doing it anymore, it's when I realized I'm like, oh, my rhythm, my rhythm. Yeah. And of course, my, the rhythm of my year was dictated by, by, um, by like spring, summer, autumn, winter, yeah. um, by the sea, by, by the days, the length of the days, you know, I wouldn't shoot houses after the end of October when the, um, the clocks changed, you know, I had all these lovely built-in rhythms. In the- <laughs> you can do now that. I, now I have to, now I have to create my, uh, my own ones, um, but it's interesting, yeah. for example, if your clients are working on book proposals, for example, then it's interesting to think about when's a good time for them in their their rhythm to be doing that. Because yeah. I, I find it really hard at certain times of year to get into that particular strategic mindset. Yeah. Much easier at other times of year. And also um, one thing I've learned that's really helpful is selling services in advance so you can you know for example with your one-to-ones you might be like right i open october january june that's it book it now and then you know it's coming financially you've had the money in advance so it's not that that's an issue um and that you can give it your everything in that time yeah and then you know and then I can rest because it I takes know. so much, doesn't it, to support people. Once I am, I am discovering that I love, I do quite like working intensely, and I think that has come from years of being on set with clients, where I, where, where the work is just all I do is that work. I don't do anything else. Might check my emails at lunchtime to make sure nothing urgent has come up, but literally when I'm shooting, I'm all in, hundred percent. Like there's no. There's no sitting at a desk, checking this, looking back, like, la, 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 la. like you're just all in. And um, and so when I'm, because I've got two different projects that I'm writing at the moment, I'm finding it easier to be like really all in with one of them, take a step back when he takes a step back, really in all in with the other one. And it's just really interesting. It's taking time to find, it takes time, I think, as a writer to figure out how it is that you work best because everybody's slightly different some people like to do a little bit every day some people I I'm quite like pouring like you did your 30,000 words in four days I occasionally will go on like a big binge Mm. and I've had people say to me oh that's ridiculous you can't possibly do that you'll you'll that's not going to work you're going to really burn yourself out and stuff it's joyous and I don't have anything like, else. I love it. I love yeah, it. It's amazing. <laughs> and then I need a big rest, obviously. Yeah. But like, but sometimes I don't know. I think um, it's great that we have these conversations because I think um, it's good for us all to know that we all work differently, and there isn't a right or wrong. But there might be a right for you that you um, might not have thought of yet. Yeah, and you can try yeah, exactly. it. And see, I mean, I do find that with the. Um, for, for January, it was interesting. January to April last year, we had our kitchen ripped out, and so we hadn't, we had nothing, no kitchen, no power, no anything, um, in for cooking wise. And we've got two small children and everything, and it was cold. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we actually rented a tiny place that had a kitchen not far away, <laughs> so we could literally walk there with all our washing up and everything back and forth. Oh my goodness! Yeah, and it <laughs> turned out that it was exactly the same time that I had to work on my manuscript. So I basically moved in um, I slept at home but I you know got up at five in the morning I was I was there Ooh. I come back before you know Heaven. going to school time and all ah. that and then go back again and it was brilliant and I spent a lot of time um it was nothing fancy it was just somewhere else and I spent a lot of time walking as well during that time and I just felt that I was so deep in the ideas that they I think that's how like that structure came to me for example because I was just 
in it the whole time yeah. and throughout the year I do dip in and out for sure and I might have a week where you know I spend a whole day on something or I go on a little trip and it's connected and I write some stuff down but I think it does take a build-up of yeah. thinking about the thing over and over again and if you're not writing a book it doesn't really matter so much but if you're trying to write a book especially in a yeah. concentrated period of time it makes it makes such a difference and honestly while I was doing it I kept saying to my husband I have to remind myself this is the point like this is how I want to be spending my day. Everything else is supporting this. So yes. if I get frustrated at all, it's it's only because the of the work and I'm juggling it. The actual how I'm spending my day is just dreamy. And yeah. I'm so grateful. Um and, and I know that I can't do that all year round because the other well, pieces no, that's the thing is that we're not we, we can't be endlessly outputting. We just can't. Like, it's but also, you can't be a hermit your whole, lo- no, your whole life. No, it's, you can't. You, know, you need to kind need of back yeah. in and in society, and then back to the edge and back in again. I think is yeah. good for us. But yeah. the, sometimes we don't extract ourselves at all, and I think we miss an opportunity to really listen to the world and ourselves that we can only really do when we just detach from all those things. Which, which is part of the reason. You know, if you have a book deal, you get an advance so that you can. Yeah you know financially distract yourself or other yeah. things yeah yeah we'll turn some work down so that you can concentrate on that thing or in my case like go abroad to research or whatever it is you know yeah oh Beth, lucky. we're lucky and we made our luck pleasure <laughs> I know it's both isn't it it is absolutely both it has been such a pleasure to chat about these things it's so nice to talk about both the words and how they get on the page and also the whole everything that surrounds a writing life as well um it's such a wonderful book and there's so many resources in here as well so listeners do yourself a favor and grab a copy i'll put a, um, a link in the show notes as well as a link to all of beth's um courses and things as well thank you so much thank you so much penny what a treat it has been to talk to you and i can't wait for your next book <laughs>